podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. 1865, the Nottingham Forest podcast, is proudly sponsored by The Terrace, the home of retro and fan culture sports merchandising. Check out their range of Forest merch by visiting theterracestore.com or visit them on social media. The 1865 Match Report. Hello there and welcome to the 1865 Match Report. We've got a, uh, a late change to the to the lineup today. Um, there was in the warm-up, uh, unfortunately, Baz got injured and had to be withdrawn from the uh, starting lineup. So I've come off the bench. My name's Rich Ferraro and I'm here to talk about Forrest's game yesterday against Peterborough, which ended in a 2-0 victory to the Reds. Now, because I wasn't at the match, I think it's only fair that we talk to somebody who was. So in just a second, I shall be joined by Stephen Topless. Before we come to you, Stephen, uh, just to point out that Forrest did revert to the 4-2-3-1 uh, formation after playing three at the back against West Brom in a match and now seems like ages ago. And it saw that Jack Colback came in at left back, replacing Guy Bong. And James Garner moved to a more advanced midfield role with Brian Hader coming into midfield to replace Tobias Figueredo. Now, Stephen, thank you for joining us today. Uh, let's just deal with the elephant in the room, which is that until about 15 minutes before kickoff, you're going, this looks like a glorious winter's day, bright sunshine, good footballing weather. And all of that changed, didn't it? <laughs> I don't know what happened, but yes, 2.45, suddenly everything changed. And uh, in, in my position in the upper Brian Clough, I'm sat obviously almost looking across the front of the Trent end. And uh, during the first half, when the rain started coming down, not only could you hear it on the, the metal roof of the Brian Clough stand, which I've not actually heard rain coming down like that before on the stand, um, but you could also see it almost coming in sideways over the top of the Trent end. And then as it got to the, over the pitch, it dropped. So it was like, it was going across and down. It was a very weird, weird set of conditions. Um, and just to skip forward to the end of the game coming out, uh, the rain had stopped, but the wind hadn't. So combine that wind with being right on the banks of the Trent and suddenly you've got conditions where you feel like you're, you're getting for uh, getting battered by the elements as you're walking up to Trent Bridge. So we hopped into the nearest first pub open just to to get away from the elements. Uh, Mm. So I don't know how the players managed to play for 90 minutes in those conditions. It was, yeah, quite, quite an afternoon of weather. Well, and let's just come straight into that, which is that we've seen in uh, a few, there've been a couple of FA Cup matches on and so on and so forth. We've seen that the elements really do play a part. Do you think that, bearing in mind that we, let's just, let's just cut to the chase. The first half was fairly short on quality for the most part. And do you think that the weather had something to do with that? Yeah, I, I felt that... The, yeah, the conditions didn't lend themselves really to, to great football. And uh, from from our point of view, from Forest, we were trying to, I think we were trying to play kind of as of the style that, that Steve Cooper wants, but everything we were trying was just breaking down and breaking down quite early on. So it will be a mispass from one of the defenders or things breaking down in the midfield. And it was a very disjointed performance from Forrest in the first half and 
to add to that as well, Peterborough didn't really offer a great deal in that first 45. So overall, it made for a uh, for a first for a first half which was very low on quality. Mm. And um, I guess Forrest's best chance or clearest sight of goal came very, very early on, didn't it? Uh, Philip Zinkenagel scored a terrific goal away at Reading after three minutes. Um, he didn't even wait that long to have a go uh, in this match, did he? No, he, he picked up the ball, cut in sun. It must have been about 30 seconds in. It can't have been much later. And he cuts inside, hits a shot, which is flying towards the top corner. And to be fair, Cornell in the Peterborough goal did well to get across and palm it away. And it promised to uh, to be an exciting game at that point, but it soon petered out. And I think the only other chance of any that Forrest had was Lewis Graben, where he collected the ball outside the box, ran with it almost along the edge of the box, slightly dangly, and had a shot from the angle, which just hit the side netting. But other than that, really, there was there were no other no other chances that Forrest carved out in that opening 45. Mm. What about Peterborough? Because I think you mentioned that you thought that they were fairly low on quality, but Darren Ferguson mentioned in his post-match interview, when you've got a big crowd at the city ground and they're booing their team off at half time. Okay. We know about the fact that Forrest fans are well known for being a little bit fickle, but did Peterborough warrant praise from their manager and their fans? I thought they were quite disciplined in the first half. They they had a good shape and they made they tried to make life difficult for Forrest. But I thought the booing at the half time was more aimed at the referee than necessarily the Forrest performance. Um, I know I know we're talking again about officials and the the lack of quality with them but uh, yeah the referee was making some baffling decisions throughout allowing some robust Peterborough challenges to 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 go unpunished and then pulling back Forest players for infringements which really didn't compare so there was some and this continued in the second half as well as we'll probably come on to but I think the booing was more a frustration at the referee's performance. Uh, rather than necessarily what Forrest were doing. Well, where have we heard that before? Um, let's let's talk mm. about um, chances. I mean, like you say, it, it wasn't exactly a game that was high on quality in terms of uh, chances. And I mean, the thing with Zinkenagel's effort, what was interesting is that when you watch it on the replay from behind the Trent end goal, it's almost like he curled it too much. I think it, it actually ended up coming in a little bit from the top corner. Then, of course, you'd mentioned Graben's effort. But Peterborough will feel that they had a few half chances themselves. So Samba made a couple of things which, for the purpose of the stats at least, go down as saves. Is there anything to worry about there? I, w- I wouldn't say so too much. I think the the big the big Peterborough chance came in the second half when Dembele ran through uh, latching onto a, a ball played forward and he, he ran through on goal and suddenly he's he's in front of the posts with just Samba to beat and he he strikes the ball against the against the woodwork it bounces away for a goal kick and we we got away with one there because there'd have been a lot of you put Mitrovic on the end of that chance or Billy Sharp or somebody like that, 
it's a goal and suddenly the complexion of the game is very different. And I think the frustration that had built up around the ground was partly because Forrest were at nil-nil and hadn't scored, uh, partly because of the referee as well. And had that gone in, I think then Forrest would, would have really been up against it, trying to trying to come back and, and overturn that deficit. But as it happens, they, they kept the game at nil-nil and then later on managed to find the goals that they needed to win. So um, I'm not too concerned about Peterborough's play or the chances that were created bar the Dembele one, which he ultimately missed. Uh, yeah, and I think it, it is crucial to point out that wasn't nil-nil. It, it, it might have added a different dimension to things. But again, just to cut to the end, uh, Steve Cooper did say that if Forrest played all the way through 90 minutes like they did in the second half, that he'd have been far happier. Um, and and Forrest did look a little bit more threatening, didn't they? So we'll come to the goals a little bit later. But there are a few, again, moments of controversy where you think that Again, it's that lack of consistency from officials, isn't it? You're never quite sure what you're going to get. And there are a couple of moments in the uh, in the highlights package on Quest where you thought, you know what, different referee could have had a couple of penalties there. Definitely. And I think the the big one was with uh, Graben playing the, trying to play the ball into the box. Peter Burr, defender, he's almost... His arms are almost flapping before the ball's even played. He's like he's put his arm out once and again and again. He's almost making the the movement to block the ball with his arm a few seconds before the ball's put in. So I would argue that the the intent was there, even even though by the time the ball hit him, he'd he'd pulled his arm in a bit. But I think it was still clear cut enough away from his body when it struck when the ball struck his arm for it to be a penalty and yeah, that, that one on another day with another referee, that's surely that one is given. Um, and that one really compounded the frustration that the forest fans were, were feeling at that point, because we really were not getting anything from the referee. Certainly in the first 20 minutes or so of that second half. And that really ramped up the frustration. You could hear it around the ground as well. I don't think the, the highlights on Quest quite put across really the frustration that that uh, the fans were feeling at that point. Mm, I mean, you mentioned that particular effort. What about the the one that was earlier? I think it was um, was it uh, Brennan Johnson who was trying to play the ball through, or one of the players trying to play the ball through for grabbing and and um, kind of hit the player on the back, but got his arm as well. But would you say that that one's a little bit less less contentious? Yeah, I think. Um, that one, you could argue the, the the Peterborough player doesn't know as much really of, of where his arm is and where the ball is and, and what's happening. So I think that one you could you could say, yeah, okay, if the referee's not given that, I can perhaps see it. Uh but it was I think it was more that second one with the grab and cross that really was the the tipping point in terms of the the standard of officiating in that game and and the point where it's like, come on, this is it's almost becoming beyond the joke with the the inconsistencies. And I'm not saying that we need VAR or anything like, I don't want to be talking about that coming into the championship, but I think there needs to be greater consistency and 
Uh, and I think officials do need to be trained up more, really, to to bring them up to the standard needed. Because every team and every fan base will say that the referees are biased against their teams. I think it's just a, something that's almost hardwired into your average football fan. But with Forest, it does seem like we've been on the receiving end of some poor performances from the officials, not just this season, but in seasons gone by. Yeah, I was having a conversation on uh, on Twitter, uh, our Twitter account at Nottingham underscore Forest, uh, with with Ed, and we're pointing out that every, like you say, every team will feel um, that they get harsh decisions against them because if you're a football fan, you always remember the ones that go against you. But I would also say that that's a sign. There's two ways to interpret it. Either on the whole, the referees are getting things right, but actually on the whole, I think it swings the other way whereby every single um, set of fans can say, you know what, the standard isn't good enough. And there are there are simple things that are being missed by some refs being picked up by others. And we'll, we'll come on to that in a little while. What I will also say is that I've been going to football matches for over 30 years. And even over 30 years ago, if you wave your arms around in the penalty area and it hits your hand, you can't really complain too much if the ref gives the penalty. So, um, so you know, make of that what you will. Let's talk about more positive stuff because Graben was toiling away there and um, he really should have put Forrest in front, but it was actually, he was got out of jail by Jimmy Garner, wasn't he? It was either a shocking miss or a genius assist. So make a, <laughs> have, whichever way you want to look at it, it was... Well, uh, for the stats, it will go down as an assist to grab it, won't it? It will do. And if it, and if we were in the Premier League and it was fancy FPL, I think, yeah, that one would go to grab as the assist. But um, no, it was a move down the right-hand side with Brennan Johnson putting the ball across into the six-yard box. Graben goes in for it, it spins away off the outside of his right boot, but falls to Garner coming in just behind him. And he actually does well to put it in the net. From the angle that you see on the highlights, you actually appreciate he didn't have a lot of room between Graben, the goalkeeper, and Peterborough defenders to get the ball through and into the net. So he he sort of prodded it into the one area that he could to, to get the ball in the net. And credit to him as well for following up to be there and be in that position to score the goal because on another day he might not have been there and the chance is, is missed. So yeah, great to see him back in form and scoring a goal. And you saw with the celebration, just how much it meant to him, the way he reeled away in front of the Trent end and everybody piled in with him. That was great to see. Yeah. So three things I'd like to point out. So firstly, as you've alluded to there, I think uh, James Garner, the last two or three matches since, since the Luton match, He's been terrific, actually, and particularly at West Brom, I thought it was absolutely outstanding. And of course, he's been playing in the deeper lying midfield role for the majority of that time. So he realises that with Colback in good form, with Yates in good form, he realises he's got more of a fight on his hands to get in the team and he's he's seizing that chance. Uh, the other thing I'd like to point out uh, is that Brian Hader was instrumental in the goal. Um, he'd had a volley which had ended up going narrowly over um and i think we'll we'll come back to him in a little while but he laid it off for johnson and then the third thing i'd like to point out is what a terrific cross by brennan johnson i mean we talk about the corridor of uncertainty and yeah 
Grabner will be kicking himself that he didn't kick it in. I would also point out that that's exactly the kind of cross that Lyle Taylor absolutely thrives on. He's a back post striker. And so you get the ball in that corridor of uncertainty. That's where Taylor would be um, in normal circumstances. Um, so just like to point a few things out there, but what a ball by Brennan Johnson. Yeah, brilliant ball. You couldn't have put it in a better place to create that opportunity and that uncertainty that you you referenced there. It was uh, a great ball and similar in a lot of ways to the opening day at Coventry with the, the ball that he put across for Lyle Taylor. So um, whilst it's great to see Brennan scoring the goals that he has been doing, uh, it would be good to see him putting more balls of that quality into the box because he's showing how capable he is of almost laying those chances on a plate for the strikers. So hopefully we see more from him like that now in the in the rest of the season. Do you think that'll lift a little bit of a weight off his shoulders? Because the last three or four matches, there's been some talk, maybe he's not in great form. He's still, he's still doing the running and he's still scaring defenders with his pace, but the end product has been lacking a little bit. So might do him some good? Definitely. Yeah, I think he needed that. Just a probably a boost of confidence and a reminder that, you know, his ability is always there and hopefully, yes, he can, he can produce more moments like that now. Okay. Speaking of dangerous crosses, talk us through the second goal. So the first goal came with like, I think 72 minutes, second goal seal, you know, if you're going to seal the victory um, against the team who are in the doldrums in the division, then getting a second goal in the last sort of 10 minutes or so isn't a bad thing to do. Um, a little bit of controversy about this one. Yeah, I mean, it was uh, it was in before you knew it. Really, the the corner coming in the box and it almost bounces off Ryan Yates as he's charging into into the penalty area, and before you know it, suddenly the ball's ricocheted and it's in the back of the net. So, um, even though Ryan Yates and probably most of the crowd didn't realise what had happened, uh, yeah, great to see him get the goal. And I think for Forrest as well, it was just key to to just win the game. So mm. yes, it's not, it's not a great goal aesthetically, but an important one to, 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 to seal the three points. Uh, and that's really how I look at it. Okay. If, that you're, if you're a posh fan, are you going to be a little bit aggrieved at a bit of shirt tugging by between Yates and Taylor? Maybe a little bit. Yes, there was, uh, there was quite a bit of that going on, but I don't know, really. The the referee, the officials were so inconsistent through the game that probably there were a few decisions earlier in the match that were given Peterborough's way that perhaps shouldn't have been. Um, And yes, okay, this particular one has led to a goal, but I think that's another example there of the inconsistencies coming back. And perhaps Forrest will feel that they earned that one through some of the decisions that weren't given earlier in the game with penalties and free kicks and so on. So maybe it evened itself out there a little bit with that one. I guess the, the counter argument to that is that you're going to expect a bit of argy bargy in the box um, going, going both ways. So, you know, make up your own mind. I am not trying to sway you either way. Just grateful that we got the win. Um, so two things. Firstly, I um, thought that Brian Ahader was terrific in his debut against Luton, full of energy. He's obviously got some ability, didn't look overawed by his championship debut. And of course, he's still only just learning English. Um, what did you think about Ahader yesterday? Yeah, I thought he was great. Um, in the first half, not so much, but then nobody really 
had a performance to, that stood out in the first half. But in the second, he really grew into the game and technically he was very solid with the way that he used the ball. His energy and his running caused problems and the efforts that he had where he, he shot just over the bar, lovely strike, really nice technique on that. A little bit unlucky that just a couple of inches too high because if that one had nestled into the back of the net, it would have been a lovely goal. But overall, I was yeah really impressed with Ojeda. Good to see him involved in the build-up as well with the uh, with the first goal and playing the ball out for for Brennan. So really excited to see what what he can do the, now that he's not only in the first team but also he'll be getting, I would assume, more appearances and more time to bed in. And yeah, be be good to see what what he has to offer more long term. The, the the more established he becomes in the team. OBN. And uh, related to that, uh, obviously it saw Jimmy Garner playing in a slightly more advanced midfield role. And I have to say, the times that I've seen him playing a bit further forward, I've not been convinced that that's the best way to use him. But on the whole, people seemed to think that he did he did a pretty good job yesterday. What do you think? Yeah, I thought he did. I thought he linked things up very well. And he was willing to to put the yards in, do his running and and cover the right positions. Uh, technically, we know that he's he's a good footballer, so I think you can put him in that number ten role and know that he's going to pass the ball to the right areas, find players with the ball. Um, but the key thing with the goal was that he put himself in a position to score. Um, I think a Jimmy Garner of as as recently as six weeks ago, he would not have been in that position. He wouldn't have thought to have got in that position that high up the pitch, but. The fact that he did and he was on the end of that ball in the box to eventually finish it off, I think caps off a really good performance from him. And it shows that he does have a lot to offer, whether he's playing as a deep, almost sitting midfielder or he's played in that number 10 role, he's got plenty to offer. And yeah, that's that's good to see. I'm glad to see him performing now more to the levels that we saw last season. Mm. Uh, and I'm sure this is something we'll talk about again in future weeks, uh, especially as we approach the January window. But I'm sure that uh, Gerard Carvalho is going to be a little bit annoyed about that. But that's that's potentially a whole other discussion for a whole other day. Um, just a footnote about the refereeing. Uh, Posh got four bookings and Forrest got one. And that one booking was for Brees Samba for time-wasting. And uh, the cynic would say, well, David Cornell was time-wasting a lot worse at nil-nil. What do you think? Uh, I would agree with the cynic on that one. Uh, Cornell was was time-wasting pretty much from the beginning of the second half. Um, so why the referee felt the need to dish the yellow card out to, to Bryce Samba when he's he's not done anything worse than Cornell and he's time-wasted far less frequently. But again, it's the inconsistency. You You allow one goalkeeper to get away with the same offence that you're booking another for. And it doesn't really make sense to me. Um, and it, yeah, it's moments like that where the frustration does really start to crank up with the, with the supporters because what you're seeing on the pitch doesn't make sense. But I liked the way that Samba handled that because he took a few steps back and stuttered his run up a couple of times and really took his, took his time over the, the free kick eventually. So I, I did quite like the way that he he responded to to that booking. 
as as Vic and Bob might say, you wouldn't let it lie, would you, Brees? Um, <laughs> so that means that Forest end up on 28 points after 21 games with a, a nice, neat, even record of seven wins, seven draws and seven defeats. Um, and of course, let's just remind ourselves that six of those seven defeats came in the first seven matches of the season. So it's not been going too badly, but a very welcome victory for Forest because they have obviously struggled to turn those draws into wins in recent weeks. Uh, they are behind Luton in the table uh, by one goal in terms of goal difference. So it means that technically we're still bottom half of the table. But as I said last time, you know, let's not worry too much about the table at this stage. Um, And then the other interesting thing is that having had that insane fixture um, pile up of three fixtures in six days, that the matches are basically going weekly now for the next few weeks. So lots to be uh, positive about to get a victory under our belt. And we say thank you to Stephen Topless. We say thank you to producer Romeo. And uh, what was your analogy about about a producer and a referee there, Stephen? I think a good podcast producer should be seen and not heard. So uh, make of that what you will with this weekend's referee. Okay. And of course, finally, we say thank you to you, listener, and thanks for joining us. Sports Social Podcast Network.